Welcome back to This Is You, a podcast by Dennis Wick. This is your host, Mary Galimi, and we are going to jump back into our discussion with Maria and Travis Harris. Maria and Travis are both educators and professional musicians, and Maria also has a degree in microbiology. Our last po- in our last podcast, Maria laid out the scientific background of COVID, and this week we'll focus on how that intersects with musicians and music education. We saw the directives come out about how to handle indoor music education, and we know that while outdoor rehearsals would be best, most of our nation can't support that. As educators, what are the top things in the classroom that are going to make it difficult to meet the needs of your students um, while staying within the guidelines that have been uh, brought to us by the experts? Um, Travis, I'm directing this towards you since you've got to get back into the classroom. Oh, wow. That is, that is a multifaceted answer right there. Uh, everything that we've seen, everything that Maria has mentioned so far is, is perfect on paper. You know, and I spoke with an administrator this morning, and the main thing that we're getting from administration is the only thing that's certain is things are going to change. And that we ha- need to be able to change plans at the drop of a hat. Well, you know, being a band director, that's kind of the nature of our business. You know, uh, for any successful band program, we have to be able to adapt and overcome whatever obstacles are put on our plate minute by minute, you know, analyze, diagnose, and prescribe for whatever situation arises. With that being said, all of the uh, articles that Maria has studied and that I've read as well are, are great on paper, but they don't really take into practical account the human element. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Uh, I'm an educator. And I educate kids through band to be humans in our society. Uh, Whenever you add the human element of the kid and then society around the kid and the environment that the kid comes from, from the home, those are three things that we really, really can't control. We can only somewhat manage at best. So if a child is... uh, is basically taught to be non-compliant, or if a child is not taught basic uh, health and uh, self-control skills at home, there's just not a lot that we can do in the classroom under the guidelines that we're given to stay safe for not only that kid, but for other kids in the room and for me as a teacher, which is some of the great concern that my colleagues have. Uh, band kids, as you know, being a band person and anybody listening to this podcast, you know, we go above and beyond from the first day through the last day and everything in between. We tend to be overachievers in everything that we accomplish or everything we attempt to accomplish. But, you know, my band kid is not only going to be in the band hall all day, they're going to be with what we all educators refer to as a general population in the school environment. So they're going to be around other students, other teachers. They're going to be around who knows what else whenever they leave the doors. So every day, whenever they come in, we're facing a new possible contamination. That is where all the guidelines for health safety come into. Uh, the, uh, The University of Colorado has come out with lists of guidelines for us. And Maria mentioned it a minute ago. There's there's about to be a new one come in. It's a multi-tiered system based on outdoors rehearsal. Uh, 
in extreme south like Texas, even in the North Texas area, we have triple digits in the summertime, which is normal. Then we add heat index in on top of it with a bunch of sixth graders trying to learn how to put their fingers on the clarinet in 100 degree heat outside. I don't know how conducive that's going to be to the learning environment mm. or the success of the child. Uh, whenever you add that plus instrument malfunctions that happen regularly with beginner students because anybody who's taught beginner band for more than a day knows that every horn in the band hall is going to hit the floor at least once at some point through the semester. When you add that and then the cleaning aspect of what has to happen in between each class for each student in each space that they're at plus each instrument, I, I just don't see how a lot of this is really applicable in the real world scenario. Uh, of course, we're gonna give it a try. Uh, my campus here in Denton, or all of Denton ISD, instructors are expected to be on campus to do in-service on Tuesday. My assistant and I have the band hall, and we already have discussed how we're gonna do that to stay safe. Uh, we're, we're band directors, we wanna be there for the kids. We wanna be in the band hall at all costs, but at the same time, we have to be safe as well. We've discussed what we're gonna do, how we're gonna do it, how we're gonna keep safe with just two adults in the room. Whenever you add uh, sixth graders in the band hall that are excited and scared at the same time, because everybody knows what the end result of this can possibly be, short-term and long-term, they're excited. They've got brand new instruments in their hands they've never handled before. And as, like I said, as a beginning band director, you have to have hands-on to show them, show that clarinet player left hand on top. You have to show flute players how to roll their wrist and hold the wrist uh, correctly to get that left hand position happening, especially for that A flat key. Uh, saxophone players, who always want to look down at their right hand to see if it's in the right spot. So you have to teach them how it feels down there by helping them put their fingers in the right spot. Trombone players, any brass player with a water key, AKA spit valve. That's a whole laundry list of things that we have to do with that. We have to have uh, uh, receptacle buckets in the band hall uh, centrally located for each kid to stand up whenever it's time to empty a water key, go over there, dump it, go back, sit down. Who's next? And then after that, then we have to empty them. Then we have to disinfect them. Then we have to disinfect every chair that every kid has been in. Uh, and I'm willing to do everything I can to help the kids. So is my administration and my upper level admin at the district level. But I'm just really questioning how this is going to work in practicality. And that's just a middle school level, not to mention everything that our brethren in the high school marching scenario has to do. You, I would like to go back to a question that you, you are asking about how my perspective has changed with the information. And, and, and I want to kind of go back to that a little bit with, with regards to this question, because initially, you know, people are frustrated with the initial recommendations of what to do to protect themselves and how that's changed. And, and the reason those things have changed is because we didn't know enough about this virus. You know, they were, they were basing their recommendations on whether or not to wear a mask based on what we knew about other coronaviruses. Mm -hmm. Now that, that recommendation has changed. And um, we don't know the long-term effects yet because we haven't had this virus present in our communities long enough to know 
you know, how, what, how it's going to affect um, people long-term, even mild cases. But that being said, things, what I see not happening and what I feel like would have to happen in our schools and in our band rooms is training. You know, um, we're not seeing, or I'm not seeing, you know, you know how, how public health departments can put out videos that say, you know, watch out for this or do this this way, or this is how you wash your hands. Coming from a background of science, you know, when they, people started first wearing masks or wanting to wear gloves or, you know, people aren't trained like I was trained in the lab, how to take your gloves off, how to put your mask on, how to take your mask off without infecting yourselves. So we're talking about, and I'm sure there's going to be some training like this with, with teachers when they go in for their professional development before we bring students in. But when you bring a student into the classroom, you know, there's going to need to be some very specific trainings on these behaviors and procedures and all of that just for being in school before you should even address how are we going to play our instruments. You know, do you understand where, where I'm going yeah, with this? Yeah. So, you know, you can't just bring all these kids in and say, well, you have to wear a mask and you have to do this this way. And okay, let's practice. There's going to be a lot of time that needs to be spent. Now, whether that's going to happen or not, I'm sure it will. I mean, I'm sure some, some school districts, that's what their plan is, but you're going to have to go through training students teachers, staff in these mitigation techniques to prevent spread of the virus. Even the outside mitigation techniques for these students on how to play their instruments, how to wear their masks, how to, where to dump their spit, <laughs> and how to care for that when you're done. Even with masks in the schools, there's been a lot of controversy among parents about whether we should even enforce that students wear masks or not. Yeah, and then so what are the consequences going to be if a student doesn't wear one, if a, if, a, if a teacher doesn't wear one? What kind of repercussions are we even allowed to do to, to make sure that these mitigation techniques are in place so we can protect, you know, I'm sure there are multiple teachers that are going to be going back in the classroom that are high risk. Yeah. You know, how do we protect, how do we protect those? What about the students that are high risk? I, I deal with lots of students that are high risk, students who are having chemotherapy, students who are, have autoimmune disorders, you know, students who have chronic lung disease or who are having uh, uh, heart uh, um, surgeries. And mm -hmm. those students go back into the classroom when they're done with homebound, those kids are going to be high risk. How do we protect those kids? Are we thinking about that? You know, and yes, the families have the ability to make that choice, but when we're putting everyone in this position of possibly transmitting this virus to people at home, yeah. you know, so. One of the things that always hangs in the balance also is with all the research that is being done for vaccines and treatments, we could be enjoying the benefits of those as early as December or January of 2021. It's a gamble. Do we stay optimistic and just stay safe as possible and take all the precautions for a short time longer until a vaccine is available? Or do we start working towards the worst case scenario that we don't have a vaccine or proper treatments and start investing our time right now and trying to reopen everything? And just to clarify, I do realize I am majorly simplifying the issue here. There are many in our society that have jobs that have to enter um, that, that they don't have a choice about entering, teachers, for example, and are not allowed the luxury to choose for themselves which option to follow. Regardless, the dividing line between these two options has unfortunately been drawn in the schools. 
um, in a lot of ways. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a very appropriate uh, analogy. Uh, you know, we were talking just a second ago about, I'm sorry, y'all go ahead. No, uh, no, so. I was done. <laughs> okay. Well, we're talking about, you know, all of our concerns here. Luckily, Maria and I work in Denton. And, and I thank the Lord above that we work in Denton ISD because I'm a firm believer that, that the culture of whatever organization you're, you're in, the culture of that starts at the top. Our yep. superintendent is a teacher. Uh, he was a science teacher. And he, more than that, he is just a wonderful human being who does his best, not only for the students, but for everybody involved. That culture flies throughout the entire school district. Uh, there's not a teacher on my campus that uh, if, if we're come down to it, that somebody needs to take care of my kid for a month, okay, who's first? You know, I have that kind of environment on my campus. And that is, you know, that flows down from our head principal on our campus. Our band directors in the, uh, in the district, every single one of them are not only great musicians and great teachers, they're great people, which is a result of the culture set by our fine arts admin at the district level. Now, all of that being said, our cult, my culture is set in my band hall by me which is positive and caring, hard work, and you get what you get, and it's a direct result of your attitude and your work and your coachability, basically. Okay. With that being said, that's what, we can, that's what we can control in the school, and I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but that's what we can control inside our building. What we can't control is everything on the outside of our building is what puts everybody at risk. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to be involved in the Texas Center for, for Performing Arts Health. That's quite a handle there. Texas Center for Performing Arts Health, based out of UNT. And you can go to that, uh, to that website if you'd like to check out all the things that we've done. We put together, uh, whenever all this came out, we found out that we we're not going to go back to school. We had students from UNT and educators uh, myself, well, actually my son did it for me, and I made a video film on the correct way to clean a trombone, clarinet, trumpet, whatever, before you turn it back into school, and it was circulated around the country. Uh, I did research with them on the importance of the cleanliness of an instrument. You know, how that, you know, what kind of bacteria grows inside a horn that's been in a case versus one you clean regularly, that sort of thing. Again, those are all things that we can control in the building, and that's our culture that we set. But if we don't have the backup at the home from the parents, we're just dead in the water all the way around. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's really alarming a whole lot of teachers in this whole thing. We can only control what we can control inside the building, but we can't control what comes in. Right. I don't know. There's been quite a few teachers that have, have put out their uh, interpretation of what they might see in the classroom. Um, some of them are pretty amusing, but I think they're dead on with, with students and the different responses we're going to have with students who, whether or not they will follow, you know, the requirements to keep themselves and their teachers and staff safe. Yeah. So you've, you've got such a wide range of backgrounds and 
viewpoints coming into your classroom, you know, as to whether or not we should be or should not be wearing masks or taking these precautions. And you had, I mean, there's a lot, I think, for even students to expect students who this is something new to expect them to do, you know, and not get tired of it and not want to be silly and maybe not want to take their mask off and maybe not want to, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. And that's something that I think as educators that we're going to be faced with dealing with. And then how do we make sure that they take this seriously? And I really don't think parents are thinking about what it's really going to be like for, for students. You know, you, you hear some of parents saying, well, my kid needs the socialization. This isn't going to be the socialization experience that they had before. Mm -hmm. Students are going to have to maintain distance. Uh, I've seen things where, you know, they, they're talking about, you know, students, they're going to request students not talk a lot because just talking generates aerosol particles. So they'll be wearing masks. <clears throat> they're not going to be working head to head or in groups. They're going to, there's going to be fewer students. They're going to have to walk in lines. They're going to have to walk down hallways in one direction. This is going to be solely focused on just the education piece, not the socialization piece or the, or the, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. That's not going to be there for these students. So I don't think they're really thinking about what this is going to really look like once students get back to yeah. school. And this is going to be also, I think it's going to be a great deal of stress for a lot of these kids having to follow all these new rules and having to make sure you don't touch things and you can't share things and you can't, you know, you can't, 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 can't. This is what we cannot do. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. I agree with everything we just said. And when you add the fact on, I mean, from the band director's perspective, I mean, you're a trumpet player. How many times have you shared a stand with another student, shared music well, with another student? That. That's gone. And then when you add- Pencil, in, papers. Then when you add the fact in that in some districts, we have shared instruments, like tubas, you know, because they're such, it's such a high dollar item, you might have uh, a non-varsity student and a varsity student sharing the same instrument because it's in different class periods. They have their own take home too, is that they can practice on at home, but they're sharing the Miraphone or the, uh, or the wonderful Bach tuba with the Dennis Wig mouthpiece in it. You know, so. It's going to be a very restrictive environment. And, and, and I understand, you know, parents who are having difficulty, you know, what do I do with my students, but also, you know, being home and learning from home would be a much less restrictive environment. And I know, I know, I get it, but you know, how difficult it can be, but that's, you know, I'm working as a homebound instructor. That's always a piece that I have to overcome with my students is, okay, if they don't have a computer, if they don't have a smartphone, how do we make sure, because a lot of classroom uh, information has already transitioned to online. Almost every teacher that I've worked with, you know, over the past several years has their work via Google Classroom or Canvas already. It's harder though for your elementary school uh, classrooms because they're not, but for high school, middle school and high school, it's already trending that way anyway. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I'm with my students, when they're placed in homebound, you know, trying to make sure that that piece is working so that they can because when I started, this was all hard copy. You know, I had to go pick up the book, pick up the, the test, pick up the papers, bring it to the student. And now it's all online. 
the tests, you know, the reviews, the, the information, most of my students already have that there. Mm -hmm. So it's much less restrictive for a student to be able to move about their home than to go. And, and I, and I'm even seeing some, some uh, districts talk about doing everything online, but allowing the students that need to be somewhere during the day, be in a classroom and do the online work at school. So it's not going to be your typical lecture classroom anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's treating the building as a learning center. I think is what they're telling you. So it's, it's going to be very, very different than what I think parents realize. We have to learn to think outside the box right now, Uh you know, but um, you mentioned the treatments possibly as early as December. There, there are treatments that are showing really good results that are expected to be coming out by December. Multiple monoclonal antibody treatments that are showing really positive results. And, and even if we don't get a vaccine by then, if we can get a treatment that, that allows somebody, once they get sick, to heal quickly, not be hospitalized, that, is, that goes a long way for allowing us to get back to normal. Yeah. But that's a short period of time from now till December. It's one semester, you know, and, and doesn't taking precautions and erring on the side of caution to me is always better than just running full speed ahead into the train. <laughs> you yeah. know? So well, I, Travis, I, I would really like you to, to tell them what you just read somebody said about building the plane because I feel that it that's a beautiful oh, yeah. word picture about what we're doing right now. Yeah, I, uh, a lady who I work with uh, in a supervisory role, uh, she said that it's kind of like building a plane as you're flying it. And that's kind of where we're at. Uh, and I think that generates a lot of fear because we don't know. And then, you know, we're also talking about the online education. Man, it is tough being a band director online, you know, especially at the beginner level, because you have to have that hands-on. But then again, you hear the arguments from the general public, oh, what are the teachers doing? Well, Mary, I think that you were tuned into a lot of my Facebook Live sessions from uh, March, whatever it was, we got back from spring break, to the absolute end of the school year. I had 15 classes a week that I still taught every single week. I had all sorts of uh, famous people come on and give a 30 minute presentation to my students, you know, world-class musicians with world-class experience. Uh, Alan Baylock, Brad Lely, just to name a couple. I mean, those are the two of the top musicians in our country and educators. So the thing is, Teachers are going to teach. We're going to find a way to get to the kids and get the kids the information that they can, that they need in a way that they can comprehend and reproduce the material. Uh, it's just, it, it's frustrating to not be able to get back in the band hall, but I understand why we can't. And I think if we rush it, we have more of a problem coming to us than what we're going to solve. My program is going to look completely different in every way imaginable mm -hmm. this fall and possibly more than likely throughout the rest of the year. My numbers here in Denton, whenever we go back to school, which is August 28th, everything's going to be completely online until September 8th. 
and then that's even that may or may not happen yeah. you know i mean uh that date is subject to change depending on the numbers throughout not only our community but out the country yeah. uh my numbers have drastically changed since what i anticipated in february to what they're going to be now everything is going to change but the thing is we have to err on the side of caution, just like Maria was saying, for the betterment of everybody, the teachers, kids, parents, extended family, administrators, everybody. So if we got to take it in the teeth for a year and rebuild for two years because of it, if that's going to save lives and save hospital stays and save families, then yeah, I'll do it. I think our rate now is our death rate in the United States of America is 150,000 and over 4 million confirmed cases. You can inflate any, there's all sorts of conspiracy theories. These numbers have been inflated. Okay, so it's 140,000 instead? Does that make you feel better? Is it 3.85 million cases? Does that make you feel better? Uh, it does, the thing is, it's here we have to plan for it. We have to err on the side of caution for everybody involved to steal Maria's phrase. You know, um, I work with students and families who are having to face the possibility of a life-threatening illness. You know, students who, who may not see next year or, or who are having to take, you know, chemotherapy to try to make sure they see next year. And one of the things that parents and students often really struggle with is that school piece that that desire to hold on to normalcy you know i have to get this assignment done because it's due on friday i have to get this course finished because otherwise i won't ever graduate and and this perspective of if i don't you know if i let that go then i'm giving up hope and i and i i feel like that's part of what what parents and families are going through right now. But one of the things I will tell families when they're going through this is that, you know, this is a hiccup. This isn't forever. We are going to see treatments come. We are going to see vaccines come. This is a small piece of time when you look at the entire, you know, future of 30 years down the road and look back at, at this small little piece where we had to stop for a minute. And it's, that's okay, it's okay, because everybody's in the same boat right now across the world. We all have to put things on pause right now. It doesn't mean it's never going to happen. It doesn't mean that next year, you know, maybe it'll take a little bit longer for you to get there, for you to graduate, for you to finish that course, but you will get there. And getting there eventually is what's more important than not getting there at all. So we have to take a little bit of time, focus on our health, because that is ultimately, if we don't have our health, then we have nothing. You know, nothing else matters if we aren't healthy. So take a minute, take a pause, focus on our health, get that piece stable, and then we can go and move on to, you know, three months down the road, six months down the road, and pick this back up again. And do whatever it takes to make sure people can survive, can eat, because those are our number one needs, right? You know, you're taught as a teacher that there are specific needs that you have to meet before you can get educated. Food, shelter, your health. So, feeling of, go ahead. A feeling of safety. 
Yes. And, and that's, we don't have those things right now. We don't have feelings of safety. And I feel like that that's going to impact our students' ability to learn in the classroom, even if we go back. So it's okay to pause and take a minute and take a breath and take care of this and then pick this back up when, when we're safer, when we feel better, when, when our health is safe. So, you know, and I get, you know, that our people are worrying about their jobs and having that income because that's part of feeding, but that's something also that I feel like is not being addressed by our governmental, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be political, but those are the things we need to be addressing. So it's okay though, as far as the education piece, it's okay to take a breath and take a pause and focus on our health and make sure our health is okay before we continue on. It's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean it's never going to happen. It will. Yeah. We just have to take a breath and yeah. take care of this. And we need to put pressure on this virus and limit its transmission first before we can move on. At least, especially in areas where we have high transmission rates, you know, in the hotspot areas. People that don't have that right now, if they can, you know, can keep that pressure on that virus and keep it from being transmitted, then they can move on more normally than those of us who are in these really high rates of transmission where, that we're seeing going up on a you know, daily basis. I will say one of the few silver linings that I've experienced over the past few months is that through this quarantine but not forgotten series, I've gotten such a deeper understanding and appreciation for the dedication teachers have for their students. And all the interviews that I've done, um, both on the air and off the air, I've not heard one teacher despair. Instead, they turn to creativity, their search for inspiration, um, anything to find whatever tools they can to, um, to use to reach their students in whatever way possible. These are definitely the people, if any, outside of our families that uh, we can entrust with our children during a pandemic. You know what? I'd like to chime in on that for a second. Yeah. Uh, we found out, I think, on Thursday or Friday of spring break that we weren't going to be opening schools. I think I'm pretty accurate. Like I've got the COVID head too, you know, <laughs> the mush brain. Time. But, There's no time right now. Yeah. So uh, within those two or three days, my assistant and I completely shifted our band hall to online. Completely from top to bottom. Uh, my son's high school director completely shifted his large program to online. We both gave award ceremonies. At the end of the year, uh, we did our Facebook Live with the kids, which you probably saw. He did an entire, uh, like, like, what would that be, like an Oscars-type ceremony online for his kids. And that's just two teachers and assistants throughout the USA. That's just two. Yeah. Our entire country is filled with educators, and I really have to brag on our Denton ISD people because everybody in Denton ISD did something like that. All of our band directors and the core teachers and the administrators, my principal was constantly coming on my stuff, rooting the kids on. I'd have a Zoom meeting. He'd just pop in, hey, guys, I'm here, Dr. Buddy Dunworth, uh, a former band dad. Uh, Anyway, uh, he'd pop on, cheer the kids on. Our administration, you know, at the district level would pop on. Guys, we love what you're doing. Uh, uh, the same lady that talked about building the plane, you know, <laughs> building the plane while we're flying it. 
her motto is lead with love, you know, and that's just here in Denton. That's, we're not the only place where stuff like this is going on. It's going on all over the country. Teachers are going to teach. We just have to be given the ability to teach. And the tools. Yeah, we're going to have to have some help from people at home to get it done. Well, and, and, and I think a lot of districts are working, too, also to make sure that students have the ability, that they have the tools, that, you know, there are several school districts in uh, hotspots that are opening, starting online, but they're working, school districts and are working really hard to make sure that, that these kids have what they need to be able to be successful doing that. And I know that there's, there's issues for lots of parents with what to do with students, especially small students, if they have to work. But the, the, the school districts are working really hard to try to help, you know, facilitate whatever it is we need to do. Thanks for tuning into the Dennis Wick This Is You podcast. All these discussions are lovingly created to support our listeners on every road and intersection of their musical lives. You can get our full library of This Is You podcasts by downloading the Dennis Wick app from the App Store or Google Play. If you have any subjects you would like us to cover or questions for us, feel free to contact us through the Dennis Wick app. Have a great week, and we look forward to meeting again with you soon.